Hi, Siren. Sup, bitch. So we have an email to read ahead of this episode. Yes, we asked for listeners to email us their thoughts on the representation of Yoruba in the Charmed reboot, and we got a really in-depth response from one of our favorite listeners. Hey, it's Artemis Moonchild. Artemis writes, So to jump right to it, there's a lot of technicalities here regarding the Yoruba representation in the Charmed reboot. For one, I really loved that they showed Haitians in the show speaking in Creole. For once, I didn't have to read the screen and pay attention to the show at the same time. I actually knew what they were saying as a Haitian myself. But the thing I found weird was, why tie these Haitians to the Yoruba religion and not Haitian voodoo? The first reason is that... Gavin has a connection to New Orleans where voodoo is heavily practiced. Voodoo is the Southern Americanized version of the Haitian practice that blends indigenous techniques, Catholicism, hoodoo, all in one. The second reason is that Gavin is Haitian, so he should have had a connection to Haitian voodoo. Instead, they tied him to the Yoruba religion. Though there are Haitians who practice the Yoruba religion... And there is a connection between Haitians and Yoruba due to the history with the mid-Atlantic slave trade. I just kind of feel like they still should have made Gavin a Haitian sorcerer. It would have made much more sense. Artemis continues that in the ATR traditions or African traditional religions, we sing our songs, chants, and incantations in the language the tradition first originated from. That said, Gavin, who sacrificed himself in a spell that he encanted in Creole, would not have worked at all. Creole is not the language of the Yoruba. Even the Haitians who are initiated in these traditions would have to say their incantations, workings, and songs in the language of the Yoruba people. In other words, devote their time to learn an entire new language. It gives you brownie points with the divinities they work with, like the Orishas. Artemis concludes... Also, I would like to add, besides loving your podcast and loving your dynamic and love between you two, I really love that y'all took the time to shine a light on the Charmed reboot. Though I do agree that it's not the best reboot, it was women of color and queer women of color becoming something that was rare to envision. They were charmed and chosen, powerful and unique women. These were actresses who scored a job at the end of the day and took these roles with hope in their hearts, and it actually did hurt hearing the attacks on the show. Times are hard since this pandemic, and people are really throwing fire toward women of color scoring a chance of a lifetime, especially the drama between the original writers and the reboot writers on Twitter. That was intense. The backlash was quite delicious, however. I was sipping my tea while scrolling the comments. Anyway, thank you for the positivity, which bitches. Y'all stay great. Aww. Thank you so much for your input, Artemis. We really appreciate hearing from you. I love hearing from Artemis. And since I did this with our last email, I feel like I really have to stress it with this email. Artemis Moonchild is so hot. You're so hot. That's all I have to say. <laughs> so hot. Are you a good witch or a bad witch? Power 
Hello and welcome to Witch Bitches Review. I'm feeling very inspired by Madeline Mantock because I too would like to quit my job by pretending to die. I'm Phoenix Arcana Lightwood. And I'm niche, non-binary podcasting personality, Siren Rex Fry. Written, directed, and acted by actual non-binary person, Siren Rex Fry. Today we're discussing the Charm <laughs> Reboot's third season. Phoenix, you didn't let me do the rest of my intro. <laughs> oh, today's the, this is the podcast where, okay... Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> if, if I'm allowed to say so. Um, <laughs> this is the podcast where two actual witches analyze and review representations of witchcraft in media and pop culture. As I was saying moments ago, <laughs> today we're discussing <laughs> the third season of the Charmed reboot. According to IMDb. Yeah. <laughs> according to IMDb, that. <laughs> Shut up. Sorry. <laughs> according to IMDb. The highest rated episode in this season is episode three with a seven out of 10. It's the episode triage where they restore magic through lots of bisexual demon powers and are sad because they can't fuck anyone anymore. Um, so obviously the third season was heavily impacted by COVID and, um, there was this whole, we can't be close to each other because we'll explode thing that went on. Um, which I think is actually really great. Um, I was sort of hoping that Witchful Thinking was going to be the highest rated episode because it is for me. It's my favorite episode of the whole show, actually. Really? So, yes, I think it is so good. Um, and that's why I also put in a section in here for us to talk about just that episode because it's my favorite. But, um, so I guess triage, I mean, triage was pretty good. Actually, it was. But, you know, I think the reason that triage was so good is because it was the intended final episode of season two. Yes, absolutely. That is 100% why. So we're, yeah, so we're getting a season finale, but as the third episode of the new season, you know, so it, w- it was really good. I, it was a great episode. It honestly. is a really great episode. I just really wish that it would have been. I wish that the CW would have lo- allotted them a couple more episodes at the end so they could have more of a full season because they got kind of gypped out of their season two finale, you know? They did, um, but it's, I don't know, it's really good. I, I enjoy season three. I enjoy season three, oh. too. It's mm-hmm. just that, it's for me, it's like, the reason that I think triage is so good is because it wraps up the story that was cut short, right? So it allows for that, like, little bow on the end of the last story, especially, like, because we didn't get that in season one to season two, right? Because everything from season one was kind of left open-ended, and then season two changed everything. Yeah. So triage was, like, the first time that the show has had real continuity from one season to another. Yeah, that's definitely true. And But, you know, triage wouldn't have ended the way it did if not for COVID. I mean, COVID heavily informs the story of this season, I guess is what we're coming back to. Because there are things that happen here that would not have happened otherwise. So I guess we should, I guess maybe just get into the fact that, like we said, the first three episodes are actually the end of season two. And I think that they're all really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, now, I mentioned this during our last episode that we recorded uh, I guess I talked about it ahead of time but it's in here where um, Viv kills Julian and like isn't it like the first episode where she kills yeah Julian? she kills Julian and then they go to the show so Eric Balfour is just in this one episode of season three and then he's dead um, and I just man I just felt I found it so unbelievable yeah they, they did it to make her this like absolute villain to take away any like good motivation she ever had but it's just I just found it so unbelievable not a believable character I don't care about her anymore yeah well she got all blowed up so it's fine she did yeah so so the gist is that um Vivian, our final boss, or so we think, of season two. Um, she can't be defeated until season three, episode two. 
yeah, so she got a little extra time there, I guess. Um, but then, you know, you think the problem is over, but oh no. Because Vivian, um, she... She touched the tree. She touched the amber. She touched something she wasn't supposed to. <laughs> she touched the tree come and then everything went bad. Yes. And now everything is so bad now. So because Vivian, um, she just got her sticky little peanut butter fingers all over the magic tree. Um, <laughs> even though she, she done blow up and she dead. Now there's this other big problem where the tree is like peanut butter fingers. No, the only thing to do is to kill all of the magical creatures in the world. Just kill them. Like, you've all, you've all got to die because this bitch fucking touched me. Dramatic ass tree. Okay. First of all. But so the stakes are high. And so this actually was an echo of season one for me because, you know, you think that when they've defeated Parker's daddy, at the end of season one, you're like, oh, that was the big bad. No, the problem is resolved. And then there's actually this super problem that is a result of defeating the big bad, where Macy has the source and loses control. You know, so that's the end of season one. So the end of season two is, again, oh, they think they've defeated the big bad. They've defeated Viv, the conqueror, whatever. But now there's this huge magical problem where magic is polluted and everyone's going to die. And there's no even big bad to fight. They just have to figure out how to not die. And that's like the highest stakes, which I think is pretty interesting because we see big bad villains as the season finale so many times. Mm-hmm. And this show is like, yeah, that was it. But here's a twist. Social problems. Yeah. The thing is, though, that's kind of formulaic for CW shows, too, because Supernatural does that all the time. They solve a problem and it creates a bigger problem. Right. So it's 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 a product of the network and the writing teams that work for the network. Well, no. But... So I think it's. I mean, I guess this show does both of these things. So I know usually, like, the final fight of a season will set up the problem of the next season. Yeah. But, like, in this show, the final fight sets up just the problem of the next episode. And then that sets up the conflict of the next season. There's just so many twists. So they add, like, an extra step to make it uh, engaging. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just like how the season finales aren't them, like, fighting just, like, a personified evil. Like, they're fighting like problem you know rather than a person yeah well and it also adds that element of like familial issues you know because like the real big bad of season one was macy's issues that they had to solve with sisterhood instead of magical powers it allows for like more of an interpersonal relationship between the actors and the story to set it up that way where it's not just like us versus this thing sometimes it's us versus us sometimes it's us versus something between us things like that and so i think that adds a bit of reality because most like average people are not battling villains every day so much as social problems you know yeah absolutely so we may have forgotten to mention this (laughs) this episode of our podcast will contain spoilers (laughs) yeah Yeah. and we said it enough in one and two i think they get the point i mean they they do but (laughs) i don't know (laughs) Just don't, just don't fucking at me. I'm just trying to cover all my bases, okay? So, um, I, I like, I do want to talk about triage a little bit, okay? Right, because it is an important episode, and, and it's you know in the end of season two, which we promised you that we would cover last time, <laughs> eventually. <laughs> I like how the issue is that like everyone is dying. This again is inspired by COVID, don't you think? A little bit. Like, everyone is sick. Everyone is dying. They have to work together to find a solution. I don't know how far in advance triage was written. I don't know if they had the whole season written and were had it filmed already when COVID happened and just delayed releasing it. Or if maybe there were rewrites done to the end of the season to make it more COVID-y. 
It's possible. It could have already existed and then just been pretty prescient of COVID, you know? Yeah. Because they referenced, they did reference long before the pandemic was national news. They referenced in season two that if a human touched the tree, that some bad shit would happen. Yeah. They told us that before we knew about COVID. So, you know, it could have already been in there. Um, However, I know that none of this was filmed prior to COVID, though, because do you remember in the first episode of season three, there's a scene where they go into a magical alley of shops and all of the other people are invisible. And that is so they don't have to actually film with a bunch of people around. Oh, That happened very early in the first episode. And so I knew that was a COVID thing. Because that's when like Macy punches that dude. I want to talk about Abigail in this episode. Again? We just did that. We talked about her for so long. This is one of her best episodes. It is one of her best episodes, yeah. Because she she admits that she also doesn't want to die, but she's like, of course I'm going to fucking help you save everyone. Like, duh. Yeah. <laughs> she's very like, yeah, obviously. Like, what are we doing? You know, <laughs> yeah. Abigail's great in this episode. This was a very redeeming episode for Abigail, I think. And I don't want to get super into that discussion again. But this was a huge part of it. Yeah, I was going to ask. I like her in this episode. I was going to ask if this episode kind of redeems Abigail for you a little bit. Not absolves, but um, redeems. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a, the episode that really makes me wish that they just hadn't left in that thing that pissed me off. <laughs> That's fair. I also, I really like the episodes where we get to know Abigail's family at the end of this season. Um, I think those are really fun and yeah, those are wild. enlightening to her story arc for sure. But again, we don't want to talk about Abigail the whole time because there are some other really fascinating characters that get introduced this season that I think we should talk about here at the top. There are. So what occurs at the end of this triage episode is that They solved the problem. Magical people aren't all going to die anymore. Hooray. The tree is, I guess, um, cool with it now. Um, (laughs) But what happens is the Charmed Ones get cursed, basically, with what they call the magic allergy. And it makes it so if they get within six feet of each other, they are zapped apart. (laughs) Yes. I think it's fucking brilliant. I think it's brilliant. I don't know if I would say brilliant, but I think it was the best that they could do within the circumstances. And they did it well. For me, it's just so clear that it's an adjustment to a social issue, right? Like, Well, so here's why I think it's great. Because they they did it so they could keep the show running. They were like, here's the rules that we'll play by to get back in business. And here is how we will keep it safe. And here's how we'll explain it on the show. That's great. Those are all business decisions. But what results from these business decisions is some episodes of a show that is on the air that tell some like very important stories about COVID. Yeah. And I think they're all done so well. And it's why Witchful Thinking is my favorite episode of the series <laughs> for that very reason. I love, I absolutely love a supernatural show that can be an allegory for a real life issue that and say so much about it. I mean, and I feel like season three of the show did that phenomenally with COVID. I'm just going to say it. I think it's great. I can agree with that. I can agree with that. I think they did a really good job with the circumstance that they were in, for sure. The, you know, like you said, they got to tell really poignant, timely, and important stories and gives people something to relate to in a time where we weren't really relating to each other all that well at all. So here's something that's not super great that happens. <laughs> I want to say it's episode two of season three. Um, it's, very, it's very soon. Uh, the invention of a device that Macy makes. It is... It is a little like metal insect that acts like a uh, like communication device, 
and it crawls, it crawls of its own volition into your ear. Ew. And this is something that you make happen on purpose. And then Macy looks at the camera and she says so nonchalantly, earbugs. <laughs> no, no. No, that is Macy. You're fired. Uh, no, <laughs> this will not be the topic of our misspelled today. No, thank you. I don't oh. want to do that. Oh my god, these real witches say no. It's so upsetting. It's, it's so deeply upsetting. <laughs> I can't. I just can't do it. Um, and the, let me tell you, this is not the last you will see of these earbugs. I'm probably not going to talk about it anymore after that. <laughs> I'm going to listerine my brain free of these earbugs. <laughs> but um. It's so bad. <laughs> oh. <laughs> this episode is proudly sponsored by Lice Shampoo. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. <laughs> so we've got some new characters to talk about. We do. We do have some wonderful new characters to talk about. I'm really excited. And a huge discussion about them right off the bat. Josefina is going to be the Abigail of this episode. Like, we are going to. Um, there's so much to say. So, okay. So this season has not one, but two Trans characters, recurring trans characters, who are actually played by trans actors. Yes! And this is huge. Yeah, it's okay? a big deal. This is, it's not the first time it's been done, obviously, but it is a, it's, it's a big deal. Um, especially considering one of them is a woman of color. It's a huge deal. And one of them is a trans man whose stories we don't see very, as very often at all. Um, yeah, I think it's huge. So if, if some of you are not like aware of this, um, this has been like considered a big social problem in entertainment for a while. Um, trans characters, when actually shown on TV at all, are almost always, until recently, played by cis people. But this is slowly changing. Um, I think one of my first experiences seeing a trans character played by a trans person on TV was in Sense8. Um, and Jamie Clayton plays a trans woman hacker named Nomi on that show. And she is fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Um, she's cool as shit. Um, most of the characters on that show are. Um, that was, so that, that was the first time I'd ever seen it. And actually, I'm kind of thinking maybe this is the second time that I've really watched something that had a trans character played by a trans person. There's just not enough of it, quite frankly. Um, and the, the... Other than, like, Laverne Cox in Orange is the New Black? Oh, yes! But I haven't watched that because I feel like it will make me feel bad. Um, I so I had to stop watching it because it got a little too intense for me, which is privileged in the first place, but... It did get a little, yes. it did get to be a little bit much for me, so I maintained my peace. But other than that, I think this is the only other thing that I've seen a trans person play a trans character in. Well, Shameless, I guess, was another one. And so we've discussed this on the show before. The point is that we often have minority characters and their stories are being told by people who aren't in that group who don't really understand their experiences. Mm. Um, you know, we've mentioned that a lot, um, but it's definitely true with trans characters. Yeah. Um, something that's happened recently that shows how our culture is kind of shifting on this. Um, Halle Berry recently announced on Twitter that she would be playing a trans man in her next movie role. And a lot of people tweeted at her to tell her why they thought that sucked. <laughs> and she apparently did the research and listened to a lot of people's stories. And she did another tweet saying that she had realized why that was a very bad choice. She would not be pursuing the role. And she thanked everyone for educating her. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, her, her response tweet was pretty good. 
And, you know, a lot of people felt pretty good about it. They were like, thank you for listening. Thank you for not doing this. Good. I'm glad. Because so often when someone slips up like that, people don't allow them the opportunity Mm -hmm. to, like, learn and grow and better themselves and make up for it. So I'm glad that she was allowed that space. I am too. Because she listened. Yeah. And I'm glad that she used her platform to talk about it. Because she did. She used her Twitter to educate other people. So that's awesome. And good on you, Hallie. So anyway, so we have two actual trans characters played by actual trans actors. That's awesome. Yeah. So Kevin is a character that we meet in the first few episodes who's a student in one of Mel's college courses because seemingly out of nowhere, they are real people again and can't have jobs and are no longer in witness protection. And Mel somehow can teach at a university she's never been at before without really any interview process at all that is a bit much but so basically some time passes some time passes after <laughs> you know the 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 supposed season finale some time passes and then they all have jobs and they aren't really hiding their identities anymore which i guess makes sense because they were hiding from the faction and they've defeated them now so i guess that that does make sense but i just wish that we would have gotten some sort of like like follow up i wish we would have seen something happen that tells us oh, they're not in hiding anymore without it just being stated in dialogue while they're already doing something else. I guess, but also I feel like that could be kind of a time waster. They also lost, they already lost three episodes of their story, you know? That's true. And that might be a result of that, but it perpetuates the thing that I've been talking about from the start of our series on this, whereas there's no real continuity between the seasons and none of the issues really are ever resolved fully. It's just, oh, that's over. And they're on to something else. Which I understand in this case is probably because they ran out of time and didn't have enough episodes. But it's just so out of the blue that now they're at school and Mel is teaching. Yeah, well, so we didn't um, mention this in our last episode, but we did see Maggie in season two use magic to get a job as her fake identity. Mm -hmm. And there were absolutely no consequences for that, except she got a boyfriend out of it. So, (laughs) like, how are we to believe they didn't just do that again? It's fine. That's very true. That's very true. Any um, this show, this show doesn't really have the personal gain phobia. It does <laughs> so not. Much. We we deal with it one time in the first season and then never again. Which yeah, a little bit. Good, good. But yeah, like good. they're they're the kind of whatever about it. I mean, and like, what else were they gonna do? Were they gonna develop like a glamour, like false personalities? And that's true. What? That's true. And I then give up on that after eight episodes, like because again, it makes it feel like there's no there's no thought to like how they're gonna resolve issues. They're just like, oh, we just won't talk about it anymore. And that feels very like like a 1970s show that had one episode about drugs and never talked about it again. I guess I can see what I like. I see what you're saying. I, I just I'm, I guess I'm not that bothered by it. I'm okay with using my imagination. Mel miraculously has a job teaching at Washington State University in Seattle and she's teaching a a student named Kevin played by JJ Hawkins um, who seems to be the victim of a little bit of transphobic bullying which is absolutely happening but stands up for himself in his own way by not being bothered by not going anywhere by not hiding and not accepting that um, not accepting that notion that he doesn't fit in male masculine spaces because he's a trans man and won't allow his bullies to alter his path at all which is great and wonderful and i love to see that and mel overhelps a little bit at first but then decides to just help educate the people picking on kevin and we only see him for an episode or two i think but i think he's really impactful it almost feels like introducing kevin at the beginning was a way to first of all tell a trans mask story 
right? Mm-hmm. But also test what the receptions to Josefina were going to be like. Like, if we introduce this trans character, how are people going to react to it? Are they going to hate it? And then do we need to change what Josefina is? Do you think, I feel like at this point in the show, like, they're basically talking shit about anti-vaxxers at this point. I feel like they were gonna, I feel like they were gonna push Josefina through whether we liked it or not. (laughs) But you know what? I mean, so, JJ, or JJ Hawkins, Kevin, Kevin gets three episodes, and even though she makes a huge impact, I think Josefina is also only in three episodes. So it's, they really got this, they got the same number of episodes, it's just that Josefina was way more critical to the story. This is one of the few times I agree with Siren about something. Um, wow. <laughs> so we do get a new character, a trans woman of color, named Josefina, played by Maria Salazar. Uh, I love Josefina. She is my favorite part of this season, even though that bitch is a little crazy. She's so crazy, but I also love her. Um, I Before we get into this, I just think, I feel like I should make the blanket statement that no matter where it, it is and where it's coming from, I am always going to be overly critical of trans storylines. I am going to, like, rip them apart and dissect every single aspect of them to try to figure out how I feel about it. And I'm probably always going to find something problematic under that close of a lens. So yes. I want to I wanna just say that. And I also want to say that when it comes to Josefina, I had a completely different reaction to her story the first time I watched the season than I did the second time I watched the season. Because seeing a trans storyline told by a supportive medium played by a trans actor is so rare. Yeah. That, like, we have to examine it. Because it's just very few of its kind, you know? So, like is a good message coming out of it or not. Like, I want to know. Exactly, yeah. Josefina brings a lot to the show, honestly. Not even just as a trans character, but just as the character that she is. Being the sister's cousin, being from Marisol's side of the family in Puerto Rico, bringing in, like, a new style of magic and talking about other traditions. She's just so awesome, but she's kind of dumb at first. So she's she comes in with some drama. She comes in as an antagonist, which can be a risky choice. To bring in a new trans character and make them an antagonist, but that's what she is in her first episode for sure. Um, I do feel like I don't know. I've I felt like her role still made sense though. It wasn't about like she being trans was incidental to the story at first. You know, like that had nothing to do with the reason she was there. Yes. Um. So I guess I do kind of like that. I don't know because by association, it did kind of have to do with the reason she was there. She did want to get the Book of Shadows back, right? That's what that was her main purpose. I guess that's true. Okay, well, it didn't it didn't feel like that at first, but there was all this family drama that we get to chew on first. We get to learn more about Marisol. So here is the tea, girls. Oh my God, Marisol, when she was younger, she legit stole her family book of shadows and fled Puerto Rico with it and came to America without telling her family that she was going to do this. Whoa. Crazy bitch. Whoa. And Josefina, hearing about this story all her life, is naturally very unhappy with Marisol. Nobody back home is happy with Marisol. They're like, that stupid thieving bitch. Um, So... (laughs) It's not good, um, but I thought it's so juicy, isn't it, though? We're like, oh, my God, your mother was even more problematic than we thought. Oh, my God. Yeah. Tell us more, Josefina. How to solve a problem like Marisol. Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, but, yeah, Josefina is there to get the Book of Shadows back, and we get to learn all of this backstory about the origin of the Book of Shadows, which got fucking destroyed for no stupid goddamn reason. I'm, I'll never get over it. 
I'm so mad about the book. Yeah, it does super suck. And then, of course, they try to tell her the book has been destroyed and she does not believe them. Because why would you? Because she's like, no, you bitches just don't want to give it back. What Josefina does, though, is a little... It's contrived, I think is the word I want to use. It's very tightly contrived to tell a specific story. Like, the rules are insane upon close inspection. Josefina casts this, like, stasis spell that gets Macy and Jordan stuck in it. And then everything is going wrong in there. And then they're like, why is your spell fucked up, girl? And she's like, everything should be fine. Unless, of course, one of the people inside is cursed. And they are. What? (laughs) What? And that's just a random rule? Was that, that was in the Book of Shadows page? And you were like, the spell may malfunction if one or more targets are cursed. And she's like, oh, that probably won't happen. I'm just going to these witches' house. Um... Yeah, what? <laughs> Jesus Christ, um, Hosa Bina. I know, I know, right? So that's so when when she reveals that, and then they're like, "Well, you dumb bitch, he is cursed." Like, okay, like come, that's just some very tightly contrived drama. I'm sorry. Um, also, Jordan's curse. Are we ever gonna get over Jordan's curse? Because Jordan's curse is the new demon blood. Let me tell you. Oh my God, Jordan is cursed oh for so long. He is cursed forever. He's still fucking awesome, but he is cursed for a long time. He's cursed for a long time until this episode, then his curse is over. Yeah, I guess. Oh, yeah. I do guess, like, I don't know. Like, it's annoying, but also kind of fun because every time they're like, Jordan, you shouldn't do this life-threatening adventure thing to help us. And he's like, well, yeah, but if I don't, I'm going to die anyway, so I'm just going to be, like, really brave and hot. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) I like him so much. (laughs) Suck my helpful dick, Maggie. I would suck his helpful dick. I would helpfully suck his dick. (laughs) (laughs) This is a very helpful trap. I'll do whatever you want. Jordan, Donica, are you, if you're out there, if you're listening. (laughs) Hey. (laughs) Um, okay, so, but let's, whatever, let's. We're over that. Um, so anyway, Josefina helps, you know, she helps end the spell that she casts or or she's around when it ends. It's unclear. But she's like now going to be a, a good character. And they're like, hey, even though you're totally loca and you um like put a hex on us and are trying to steal from us. Do you want to like stay here <laughs> and, and we can be friends? <laughs> and then she's he is so... <laughs> so heartwarmingly overwhelmed by it. She's like, yeah, of course. Well, it's one of those, like, you're family, so everything you've ever yeah. done is forgiven. Uh, I hate those Basically, kinds of stories. It is, a, it is a little bit that. But Josefina has an interesting story and motivation for her her path here and that's the real meat of it that we want to get into yeah the what what happens in her next two episodes i want to talk about something that mel says because it's stupid when josefina is talking about the spell that she casts and how she did it she's talking about like intestines and all this like farming sort of ingredients that you would get living you know in a rural place practicing magic Mm -hmm. and mel is like Sounds like black magic. I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, why is your impression so good? Why? (laughs) I think I turned it, I think I turned it a little Scottish by accident, but. (laughs) No, it was amazing. (laughs) I loved it. I loved it so much. I'm, 
I don't even. What the fuck are we talking about? I have no idea. We're talking about Josefina. You made me lose it. And Mel thinking that her magic is evil because it's different than Western magic. And I like that Josefina makes a point to be like, no, you're only saying that because you don't understand it and it's not from your culture. It's Brujeria, which she says a lot that she practices Brujeria. And from what I know, from what I understand, is that's just the Spanish word for witch. But do you know if it's like a tradition? Like. So. Uh, from what I understand, yes, but I'm going to have to make the same statement that I did um, during when we were talking about Yoruba, which is that I, I understand what Brujeria is to an extent, but I'm not a practitioner of Brujeria and I'm not a person from the region of the world where it originates from. So I like I don't have the expertise here. And just just like the call out we made before, if there are any listeners who know about Brujeria or practice Brujeria, and if you've also watched the show, can you write in and tell us how accurate the things Josefina does and says are to Brujeria? Because I would love to know. Um, so I Brujeria is like... Um, it's Spanish for witchcraft. Um, yes. Brujo and bruja are the Spanish words and masculine and feminine for witch. Um, yes. So I know that. But I do think that when they say brujeria, they are not, it's not synonymous with the way the American Western world practices witchcraft. I don't think that that is the case. Right. Um, I think there is a bit more um, animal part involvement is like I'm I actually think it's really hypocritical if you like eat meat but have a problem with that. It's not for me. Like I'm not I don't want to do magic with um animal intestines. I do not. I don't it doesn't feel good to me. But if you like balk at that but then go eat like a McDouble with fries, um fuck you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the only the only thing that I have against using animal parts in witchcraft is that I think it's yucky. I don't have a problem with it if you want to do it. But for me, I'm like, not about that. I don't even like my food to have bones in it. It is so hard to find an apartment in a big city that has a space where you can work with animal parts. (laughs) So, I mean, I can barely even do that with chicken breast in my kitchen. It's so small. (laughs) Yeah, like, I just don't have room for a chicken coop in my studio. So, like, it's just not going to happen. But in, you know, in the area of the world that Brujeria comes from, it is a little bit more accessible. There are places you know, for the non-urban witch to find those things. I mean, I guess you could do that here too, but it's just less common in Western magic, I guess. Also, fun fact, you can get chicken feet at pet supply stores with dog treats. Oh, good to know for the people that practice with chicken feet. Yes. Um, one of my former roommates does, and he recently took a trip to the dog store, you know, for spell supplies. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, someone broke into his car. I think they're regretting it now. Uh, Josefina practices Brujeria, which we are not qualified to talk about on this show, but we do know it's not a... Yeah, it's, but yeah. if you, you know, want to talk to us about Brujeria in this show, Phoenix, how can they email us? You can send us an email at witchbeereview at gmail.com. And if you are a practitioner of Brujeria or just a, you know, Latina, Latinx witch and want to talk about it in general and talk about your folk practices i would love to hear about it and maybe even Absolutely. like read your letter on the show or have you on the show because that's just something that i would love to have somebody talk yes. about in a real I'm way i'm actually really glad i'm actually really glad that you said that because i know we're on the same page now so i think can we just put it out there um that in both cases of yoruba and Bruharia and possibly anything else that we're underqualified to talk about on these episodes like if you guys are comfortable speaking with us i'm totally open to that 
Me too. That would be awesome. Yeah, I think that would be wonderful. So if you want to talk about Yoruba, Brujeria, or any other um, brand of witchcraft that we don't know about on our show, please let us know. Yes, please. Yeah, so let's talk about Josefina's motives. And I know that the bulk of our conversation today is going to be about her, but there's really not that much else interesting about this season to me. So Well, I, I disagree, but I think that she's the most interesting part of the season. So... Josefina's motives are that she wants to get her witch powers. And Siren, do you want to talk about why she doesn't have them? I have so much to talk about there. Okay, so here's the meat of the debate, y'all. So Josefina comes in and she says that her family has told her that even though they accept her as a woman, she will never have witch powers because she wasn't born a woman. Which by extension gives us the argument that her family believes that um, only quote-unquote, women-born women, which is a disgusting turf phrase, by the way, can have witch powers. And if you are born male of any kind, you will not have witch powers. I refuse to believe... Again, I don't know. <laughs> but I. that being said, I refuse to believe what I don't know for certain. I refuse to believe that Brujeria holds this concept, judging by the mere fact that there is a specific word for male witch that is Brujo. Mm-hmm. So I I don't I don't buy that that's part of Brujeria. I I'm a little concerned that they put that transphobic belief onto Brujeria, and it's probably not accurate. But this is the point where this is the point where my readings of the situation differed between viewings, because the first time I watched the show, I thought, are they telling us that the hard world, the hard rules of the magical world, is that men slash males slash male identified people cannot be witches. And this issue is further compounded by the fact that this show does not contain a single male identified witch. <laughs> this show has zero of those, which obviously Phoenix and I are not crazy about. Yeah. Don't love that. Um, don't love that. Yeah. We don't love that. So I was, re- I was viewing this season thinking, are they saying that men can't be witches and even trans women can't be witches because they weren't women born women? Because that's transphobic as fuck. Which by the way, furthers an argument that I made in a Millennial Incantations YouTube video called Men Can Be Witches Too, that the idea that only women can be witches has its roots in transphobia. If you'd love to watch that video where I explain this in full, well, I guess with the help of David, who I should probably give some credit because he did half the work, um, where my roommate and I explain in full why men can be witches too. It's called Men Can Be Witches Too by Millennial Incantations. But anyway, on my second viewing, I thought, okay, it's not the hard rules of the world that are telling us that people born with penises can't be witches. It's Josefina's family. And that made me think of it totally differently. Because the first time I watched it, I felt like Josefina was battling against the rules of the universe that were being transphobic toward her. And that really, I really didn't like it. But on my second viewing, I thought, no, Josefina is battling to prove her family's transphobia wrong. And that I liked much better. I think both of those things can be true. I mean, obviously, we learned that she does have witch powers. She does, because she's a fucking witch, regardless of her genitals. Yes, she she is a witch, so she has witchy powers. Because magic doesn't come exclusively from the vagina, regardless of what some turfy author named Lisa would tell you. (laughs) Yes, you don't have to have a vagina that you rub on the dirt to be able to cast a spell. Um, You do not. Although, if that's how you do it, valid. But, I mean, just at the same time, don't masturbate with potting soil. It's not a good idea. 
No, and I mean, we're certainly not giving that advice. <laughs> Learn that lesson the hard way. Anyway. So here's where it gets, here's where it gets murky for me. Um, I feel like Mel, who is a women's studies professor twice now, and is, you know, going through a big struggle to include a pro-transgender studies book in her class. I feel like Mel could maybe have something to say on this issue. You know? And she doesn't. She doesn't. None of, okay, none of the sisters are transphobic to Josefina. They all accept her. But they don't, they don't have anything to say about her notion that she can't be a witch because she's trans. They just, they have no comment, basically. And I guess maybe that's better than how it could have been, you know? They could have um, said something stupid about it or agreed with it or said something ignorant, you know? And people can be ignorant about stuff they don't know enough about. But I feel like Mel, at this point, should have known to say something. So the problem is that when Josefina makes the claim that it's possible that she doesn't have powers because she's trans, nobody disagrees with that. They all just kind of accept it. And that's what I don't like. I will give maybe Maggie a pass, and she's the only one, because um, Macy is a biologist who should know that the rules of gender are scientifically not as concrete as people want them to be. And Mel is a women's studies professor who should know that the rules of gender are not as concrete as people want them to be. So the only person I'm giving a pass is Maggie, who just doesn't have the education in it yet. But the other two really should have fucking said something. I'm sorry. Well, Macy was cursed inside of a purse, so... I mean... Well, yeah, at first she was, but... (laughs) You know, when she got out, she still didn't say anything nice. Well, so maybe she had some hard feelings against Josefina. She was like, probably. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> but she must burn me up in that knockoff Prada. Give me a break. I want you to feel a little bad. You know, I would not be. I would not be particularly in the mood to validate Josefina if she had just hexed me into a purse. <laughs> yes, unless it was a cute purse. It was. Like, if it was like a. Like a Sailor Moon purse, maybe. Or a purse that had a lot of fucking money in it. Yeah, but that's not what she did. That's not what she did. That's not what she did. She hexed her into a purse that was Jordan's high school. (laughs) That is mean. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't want to go back to high school. Don't curse me with that, Josefina. Jesus Christ. But the thing about Josefina not having witch powers at first, quote unquote, means that she has to be really, really knowledgeable about her craft because she's just relying on her spells and not her powers. So so what is the difference between spells and powers? Misspelled. Well, Siren, if only we had a segment of our show where we could talk about spells on TV. Oh, wait. <laughs> We do. That was so stupid. I hope you leave it in. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about that a little bit. Let's talk about spells versus powers within this Charmed universe and the other one, I guess, and then TV and movies in general, but within this show. So I guess, so I guess we'd have to like define them as separate things. So, um, powers, well, powers exist outside of just witch media, right? Yes. They're in the fantasy and sci-fi genre as a whole. So, um... But in Charmed, at least, powers seem to be magical effects that the witches can make happen just whenever they want to, without any kind of incantation, without an ingredient. The most it requires is maybe like a hand gesture and a feeling. Whereas a spell is a little bit more involved. It's either, in this Charmed in particular, spells are not just words of power used, but 
um, often lots of different incorporated ingredients. So the mixing of a potion paired with an incantation in the show is a spell, which I think is a little bit more accurate than what the original charm does in terms of how spells are cast, especially later on in the show. The original Charmed just does a lot of words with nothing else. Not that I'm opposed to that. We've had that discussion, obviously. I'm great with that. Um, But that's a lot of it. But sometimes there's also ingredients involved. I guess it kind of depends on how mobile the spell needs to be, you know? Like, like if you can just do it in your attic and you can take your time, then there can be a lot of candles and a burning dish and a doll and a rose and all this stuff. But, you know, if you're, like, fighting a demon in an alleyway and you can't get your spell components together... Then, then all you have to do is say the one thing. Like, we really just had to get close and say the thing, which we could have done all along, but we're doing it now. Yeah, and it's, it's just like, to me, it's like, okay, well, it just comes down to whoever puts their hands at the fastest and who has, like, the most words per minute, you know? Like, <laughs> it's like a debate team, and I find that kind wow. of silly. Debate team. Do you know what? That doesn't turn me off at all um so not even a little my spells tend to be i mean again we've had this conversation my spells tend to be a little bit more elaborate than that not super elaborate but i do like to incorporate herbs and candles and all that good stuff because i'm not being chased by a grimlock in a sewer no i like all the fix-ins if i have time there is herbs there is colored candles of the right color there is uh tarot cards there are gemstones i like everything and like i will like even if i'm by myself i will be like i'm burning basil and agrimony for this reason and here the sun tarot card for this reason upon which i will place this green peridot for this reason and i will just like say all this stuff out loud (laughs) well i mean you have to you have to let your ingredients know what they're doing i like it i like it but you know what when i do that sort of thing around other people like they all really like it too usually (laughs) other witches just like random people they get a little confused but um other witches usually like it you know but i just i well i do it because like i I'm telling myself, like, why I've chosen these ingredients, why they're meaningful to what I'm doing, you know? Yeah, and it informs your intention and your spell. And I think that's wonderful. But spells in this charmed universe tend to be, sometimes it's just words. Sometimes it is a combination of words and actions. Sometimes it's a combination of ingredients and an incantation which i love and i think is a lot more accurate and the original charmed does get away from towards the end they stop having really elaborate spells and it's all just either potions or poetry so that being viewed against powers i think for me is there's a lot more conviction in spell work than using a power so it almost goes back to this like study versus natural magic thing that we just talked about um on heyadora which by the way by the way you guys if i haven't mentioned it enough phoenix and i got to guest star on my favorite podcast heyadora a queer she-ra podcast and we had the best time talking about witchcraft in the she-ra universe you should check that out at heyadora we're available wherever you get your podcast so we were talking about the difference between um like learned studied magic and natural magic Mm-hmm. I feel like maybe spells versus powers kind of comes into play there because these powers, they didn't do anything to earn them. They just have them because they're witches, because they're innately witches. But to be good at spells requires some studying and learning information. Yes. And like knowing what ingredients to use and like reading them from a book and so on. Spells require a bit more effort uh, than using a power does. And spells, as we've seen, can be done by anyone who identifies as a witch whether they have powers or not, active powers or not. So I guess 
what I want to talk about, what I'd like to ask you, Phoenix, to end this segment, um, do you think that real witches can have powers? Do I think that real life witches can have powers? Yes. No. Not at all. Not in the same way that they do on TV. But do you think that some real life witches have more powerful psychic abilities than others? Um, now this might get me into some hot water. Oh, let's do it. (laughs) But I think that there are a lot of witches, especially gay male witches. Oh my. Who would like a little bit more attention than they have currently. Are you coming directly for me? Where is this going? (laughs) Who would like to believe that they can do more (laughs) things than they can actually do. No, I know. I know one such person who fits that description perfectly. (laughs) Um, But the thing is, is I just because I've never seen something doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And, you know, people feel that way about me when I say that I practice witchcraft and it can affect outcomes of things. Um, If I were to say, if I were to like, say that I had a witch power, I would say it would be like probability, being able to affect the probability of outcomes, because that happens to me a lot. So I guarantee you that my best friend and roommate David can affect the probability of things, because I've been playing dice-based games with him for several years, and he literally always rolls the number he wants. I've seen it happen so many times. It's infuriating. (laughs) Do you think maybe he's just really good at cheating? It's possible that he's good at cheating, but... Is that not a power? <laughs> um, it is. So I think okay. I think that real witches can have powers, but not in this, the same way that some people want to think they have powers. Well, so something that bothers me, I'm going to get myself into hot water for this. We can just be in the hot water together, Phoenix. A couple um, of fucking boiling lobsters. Yes. Basically. Um, so something I see that bothers me a lot. I actually really believe the audience is going to get this. Um, people who call themselves empath. Yes. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't people out there who are empaths. However, I am saying that like 100% of my experience with people who call themselves empaths is them trying to tell me how I feel and telling me that I'm just in denial if I disagree with them. <laughs> and... It's, it's basically like they just, uh, I don't know, they really act like they have private information about you. And if they're totally off base, they refuse to accept it. <laughs> that's, uh, that's been my experience. I find people who call themselves empaths to generally be very annoying. See, I find people that generally call themselves empaths to be riddled with anxiety and really good at anticipating people's reactions to things because they're traumatized. Well, I think that that is another thing that happens. I do agree with that. But the people that I generally talk to are not really like that. (laughs) Um, But so I'm, I'm very skeptical of like psychic experiences, I guess. But I also believe in them. I just believe that people do a lot of things for attention that don't make sense sometimes. I know things a lot and say them a lot that I could claim is like some kind of psychic premonition. But honestly, I just think I'm also really good at recognizing patterns. I don't really think it's a power. I think I just am kind of intelligent and I overthink everything. But I have also, I've had prophetic dreams where I've dreamed about something and then it has happened, but it's almost always something really stupid and insignificant. (laughs) That's what the majority of most psychic experiences are, in my opinion. And even like when I say that I can affect the probability of things, it's a lot of using my own natural perception and just taking it a step further and adding that like what if element in a really intentional way 
Uh, and usually you can make a connection. I'm not saying that powers don't exist. I'm not saying that we as witches aren't in touch with something higher than ourselves that gives us some heightened abilities. I definitely think that's true. But I also think it's something that's innate in everyone and just takes practice to get in touch with. Yes. It, it doesn't yes. make you extra special because you're good at something magical. I do not think I do not think that there's anything that a witch can do that someone who is not a witch does not also have the potential to do. In terms of like psychism, I don't I don't agree with that. I think that a lot of witchcraft trains you to hone these things, but I also don't think witchcraft is the only spiritual path that does that. It's not. It's not at all. I honestly believe I believe that my mother, who's very Christian, has a gift of premonition. I really do because I've seen her know things in advance many many times she's deeply christian but i do think that the way she practices christianity sometimes does hone her premonition ability i've seen it it boggles my mind and it's weird but i've seen it see my mother i think also had some of this probability gift that i'm speaking about because she at multiple points throughout her life would make jokes about bad things happening and then that bad thing would happen. I am very careful to never pull a prank that had, would have a disastrous outcome because she did it so many times. Like, Siren, listen, there was one time that she told my dad that she got a letter from the city that our that our home was not within our property line and we had to move it. And then that happens. Okay. <laughs> that specific. And so... I've noticed things like that within myself. I'll think about things a lot or I'll say them out loud and then they will come to be. So there are things like that that I think are absolutely real. I I would like to end Misspelled Siren with asking you, if you could have a fantastical witch power, what would it be? Oh my God. Oh, I'm not prepared for this. Hmm. Phoenix, same question, <laughs> since you've had some time to put thought into it. Um, so I've thought about this a lot. All throughout my youth, I was very angry and uh, wanted to have fire powers really bad so I could destroy stuff. But as I've gotten older and recently, I have sort of just settled on the fact that all of my like very first uh, instincts and obsessions are correct. I think if I were to have a fantastical witch power, I would want invisibility and force fields. And also everyone thinks about force fields and invisibility as like defensive powers. But think about what would happen if you opened a force field inside of someone and then expanded it. I think force field is an awesome offensive power. You can just cut people's arms off with those things. So that actually makes me feel better about the answer that I came to because I couldn't pick just one, but I can tell you what magical creature I want to be. <laughs> and you're going to think I'm so fucking lame. Um, I would want to be a white lighter for, for two, for two reasons. So I've played a lot of Dungeons and Dragons in my life and I have literally always, except for one time, been a character that could use healing magic. And I also used to play, um, Final Fantasy XI online and I was always a white mage because I wanted to have healing magic. It's always been my favorite thing in any kind of role-playing game. So I think I would want the healing powers. That's probably my first choice. If I can only pick one power, I want to have healing powers. The healer is... The backbone of the group, bitches. But I also would really love to teleport. Um, I just, that seems so handy, you know? Okay, so obviously this talk about Josefina expanded a lot, as I knew that it would, because we have a lot of feelings. And culmination of her story is that, guess what? She does have powers. <laughs> Because she is a witch. There is a little bit of a thing where they like question like if they came because she's actually a witch or if it's because of this spell gone awry that we'll get into. But the ultimate result is that yes, Josefina is a witch and she calls herself a nature witch and she can grow and manipulate plants. Which is actually probably the answer I should have given you to that question you just asked me because... 
plants are fucking awesome. I mean, you could grow any herb you wanted anytime you wanted for like any spell you wanted. That's amazing. That's amazing. And that's just one application. In one episode, Josefina shows us all the different things she can do with it. She uses it as a weapon to wrap up and bind people with vines. And then later in the same episode, when they are cut off on a cave that's collapsing, the bitch makes a bridge out of vines. She sure does. That's, she's awesome. And also she can just make the backyard look pretty. She can do that too. If she feels like it. Josefina can do whatever the fuck she wants. Ooh, she could grow pot. She could grow pot. <gasps> Josefina. Girl. Come hey over, girl. sis. How you doing? <laughs> Josefina, you can learn witchcraft with us. <laughs> yes, bud. <laughs> so basically, Josefina went from being a little insecure about her witchcraft to being able to balance out her knowledge of spells and having her magical powers. You know who's having a really hard time balancing their responsibilities in this season, though? The motherfucking charmed ones. Oh, yeah. They are a mess. They're having a bad time. I'm glad that we got into I'm glad we got into Mel's um, college career for a second. Did you find the end of that to be fairly unbelievable where she like goes viral on social media and gets everything she wants. Yes. After going into a rampage. I found that very unbelievable. I'm certain that she would be fired. Um, But we have a... I mean, nobody doesn't like to see the way it turns out. Basically, Mel gets all political on the talk talk or the the Snapchat or whatever. Whatever off-brand social media they're using. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh... Then they're like, oh, we will actually get rid of that dean who is making your life miserable. And you can teach all of the transgender books that you want because you're so cool. <laughs> and then she's like, yes, thank you. <laughs> I am. Um, and that's cool. And then and then Kevin, the trans guy, comes up and is like, yeah, my bullies, they read your book in that class. And now they're being nice to me. <laughs> Which, again, seems... A little hard to believe, although I want to believe in it, but it's a little hard. (laughs) That's what he said. It shouldn't be. But I do like, I do like what comes out of this, which is like Mel is like, oh, that's wonderful. And then Kevin is like, actually, it's just basic human decency, but it's a start. (laughs) (laughs) I like that part. I like that line a lot. So Macy takes over in safe space in the season and is really bad at her job. She is. But yet she inherits it from Julian. How long were they dating? Not long enough for him to grant her an empire, but whatever. Yeah. So like sometime at, and during like the, maybe the two or three months that they were dating, he changed his will to put her in it. I guess he was just wow. really passionate. I guess he did also like newly acquire it. And maybe. she was already there and she made an impression because yeah. she kind of busted his balls a little. Yeah. I don't know. It's a little crazy, but let's talk about how Macy has like just started working for the company and she's not even really doing a great job because she's never there. because she was fighting evil. And then she becomes like the CEO of the company <laughs> as like a basic entry level employee. Maggie is dealing with some daddy issues as per usual. Um, and also, uh, kind of delves into her mental illness and her anxiety um, for with dealing with panic attacks in a show, which I think is becoming a little bit more commonplace being more upfront about mental health on TV. But this it one, is. this felt a little disingenuous. To I me. know. I, I wanted, I'm glad that you said that. Cause I really did want your opinion on it. Um, so I have not ever had a panic attack. 
I have. Phoenix, have you? Yes, I have. You have. I thought I thought that that was the case. So from your experience, this did not feel real to you. No. I mean, it's a different experience for everybody, but in my experience, and I've only had a few, but I did not feel like I was burning up on the inside. I did not. My vision didn't get blurry. I didn't pass out. I just got really overwhelmed, was breathing really heavy, kind of felt like I was having a heart attack, and that was it. Other people's experiences might be different from mine, and that's okay. Uh, but I did feel this felt like one of those things that was in the show for the wokeness of it all. And see, that's what I was afraid of. <laughs> I do like, okay, so when I first saw the episode where Maggie has her first panic attack, I really thought it was just going to be like a problem of the week kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And that really bugged me. However, she did have more than one throughout the life of the series. The, the issue didn't go away. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate I appreciate that. I appreciate that it wasn't like a problem of the week and now it's solved because that's obviously a completely unrealistic display of mental illness. Yes. And usually the kind of thing that we would get from a genre show like this is, oh, this is the mentally ill episode. And now they're fine at the end of it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but that's not what happens here. So... I do respect that, but I'm, I agree with what you said about it not feeling genuine. Okay, so what do you think about the fact that her having panic attacks results in discovering a new power? Uh, the fact that it's a manipulation power isn't great for me. Uh, the fact that, mm -hmm. but I mean, it makes sense. The thing that I love about Maggie is that her powers are so cool. They are. They are so cool. <laughs> You're right. This is what the expansion of being an empath should look like right and so I, agree. I think going from being able to read people's thoughts and feel their feelings to being able to influence their thoughts and feelings is really cool i don't love that she discovered her power in relation to a mental illness um because i don't view those things as superpowers all the time some people might that's great uh, i'm glad that you found something that makes you feel validated and in charge of your life but i don't think being mentally ill is a source of power so i have a counterpoint i want to lay on you and see what you think about it okay it's, and it doesn't actually disagree with anything you just said it's just a different way to view the situation i guess what happens is that maggie discovers her power to influence other people's emotions by she so there are basically guards in their way mm -hmm. to doing what they want and maggie puts her panic attack onto them basically like she throws those emotions she's having onto them and it actually becomes an asset to what they're trying to do yes um which is which is very interesting um, and obviously this is kind of a targeted curse-like witchcraft, but it al she also does kind of feel better afterward. So what do you think about it as a really um, shaky metaphor <laughs> for using witchcraft as therapy? Um, so I use... I've talked about this before. A lot of my witchcraft practice is very psychological. I do believe in outside forces, but I also believe that a lot of it is affecting my own perception and the way that I interact with the world to bring about the changes that I want, being very focused on the self. Um, so I use witchcraft in tandem with therapy a lot. Like when I was in therapy, which I need to go back to, don't at me. Um, when I was in therapy, a lot of what I would talk about doing in my witchcraft practice, especially with shadow work, my therapist was just reiterating to me and giving me new tools and names for it. Um, so I like it as a metaphor for therapy. I also like, I want to kind of retract what I said at the beginning a little bit. I do, I do still not like that it was centered around her panic attacks, but I do like that she discovered something new about herself through expressing negative feelings. Yes. Oh God. Oh, I love everything you just said. 
Fuck yeah, Phoenix. That is awesome. I like that instead of bottling it up, she got to the root cause of a problem by just letting it out and communicating her needs to the people around her, um, even though it took her a yes. while. Um, and so I think actually that her panic attacks are sort of used that way. Most times they come up. They are, which is a realistic element. But in, in, including them in a show like this, that's already so socially aware, it felt a little mm-hmm. too much like, and this too, to me. So, yeah, I, yes, I, I completely understand what you're saying. Um, something I would like to throw in, just sort of cap off this discussion. Do you know who is currently, quite publicly, talking about using witchcraft as therapy? Fucking Jinx Monsoon. Oh, yes. Fucking award-winning drag queen... Drinks Monsoon is literally giving interviews talking about witchcraft as therapy and talking about being a witch. I am so into Jinx Monsoon right now. We just watched a little like documentary thingy about Jinx Monsoon going back to going back to All Stars right before I started this. Um, I'll look it up when I get off here and I'll send it to you. I don't remember what it's called. It's like a tale of a portrait of a drag queen or something on YouTube. Jinx was talking about witchcraft and I was literally thinking, God, Siren really is just Jinx Monsoon. <laughs> I love Jinx Monsoon. So... I aspire to be Jinx Monsoon. I'm certainly not that incredible. So moving on from that, another major theme of this season is the Tomb of Chaos or a prison dimension and a group called the Perfecti, the Perfecti. Perfecti. The, okay, the prison dimension, the Tomb of Chaos is so like, I don't remember what it's called, but they use the exact same plot device in season one of Supergirl back when it was good. <laughs> there's like there's like this alien prison ship in another dimension or something and it's crash landed on Earth somehow. And uh, all the monsters of the week keep coming out of it. It's very Power Rangers and, uh, to me. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. They tried to they tried to tie the COVID allegory and magic allergy into it too in a way that I thought was a little clumsy. Oh yeah, our but... our new magic allergy blew a fucking hole into your fucking special ass Azkaban. Like, so what we are what we are led to believe is that because the sisters by saving magic and all of magical people from dying, they blew a hole in this prison dimension and now super demons are escaping from it and the magic allergy was a defense mechanism slash punishment because they did that yeah and i think it's really overwritten that's way too complicated even just explaining it like that it's way too complicated it is really overcomplicated. i think it is a solid concept and an idea um of using like these really old myths like the the myth of narcissists and all that kind of stuff Mm. Um, I think that was an interesting concept, but they didn't have enough time to execute it well. Well, do you know what I honestly think? I think that the magic allergy as a COVID metaphor and a way of dealing with real COVID was great. But I also think that when they introduced it, they did not know (laughs) how they were going to explain it. Probably fair. Like, do you feel like that? Do you feel like that? Because I do. This season tries too hard to be a superhero show. Which we criticized them for last season, too. But it's kind of getting worse. It's getting worse. They they come back from it next season. But this season is trying way too hard to be a superhero show. And the sisters have almost entirely lost their humanity. Like, pretty much all they do is sit in that command center and wait for the viewing globe to go off and Zordon to tell them to go fight the monster of the week. Like <laughs> there's, there's a little bit of that. Yeah. The little subtle elements in this part of the season, in the middle of the season, when this tomb of casting is happening, they're really forcing the real life bits of it. And it's like, we really, really want to do this thing with the season, but we know that they're real girls. And it just, I don't like it. It's not a good balance. Uh, something is just, off it's not about 
it's not about them being sisters anymore. It's just lost that. And it doesn't become about that again until one of them dies. I, well, you know, I I think everything you're saying is valid, but I think it's kind of... I think that that's true, but I think it's not absolute. Because trying to end the magic allergy so they can be close together again is... It's the driving motivation of the season for everything that they do. So I think their, their relationships are important there. And see, I just think that that is so relatable because we're watching them on screen struggle emotionally with not being able to be close to each other because of a magical reason. But as this is happening, a lot of us are in our living rooms actually living this reality where it's hard for us to not be around the people that we love and want to see. I, it's, I thought it was just so such relatable television to current events. I I agree so with I, that. I don't I, I don't agree that it stripped the humanity away because I think it really showed the humanity behind what we were actually dealing with at the time. But that's about something different than what I was just talking about. I was talking about I know, which is why I'm saying that's true but also. But also, yes. Because what I'm the the scenario that I'm talking about specifically within the season that makes me feel like the sisters have lost the humanity is the command center and the Tomb of Chaos hunting the monsters, and then also trying to make them real people. Like, they can be sisterly and care about wanting to be close to each other and be close to their loved ones and be close to their partners and be superheroes, right? What is feeling forced to me is them being sad about not being close to their loved ones trying to solve this problem, being superheroes, and going to school and having jobs and teaching and doing all that other stuff. That's what feels... Mm -hmm forced it and it, it makes them feel like dissected characters mm. like, i mean it's a lot it's a lot to deal with but it's also sort of like saying hey what if you were dealing with your life during covid but then you also had to be a superhero at the same time <laughs> wouldn't that be hard it would it would be hard <laughs> but it's just a lot and it's hard to believe um, it's hard to believe. It's pretty jam-packed. It is jam-packed. It's, I'll give you that. It's hard to believe that Macy is running a company, not sleeping, living in a command center, basically, waiting for the next thing to pop up, and then... Oh, you're talking about that episode where they never sleep. Yeah. The... I thought that was a great episode. Did... That was such a stressful episode. I loved it. I was not a fan. I was not a fan because Maggie was oh, like... Oh, man, I liked that one especially. Maggie was like, oh, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to do all of this magical work and save the world. But I also have a paper due. Aren't I quirky? I just, I don't, okay. I don't love I'm it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't that like it. episode used a metaphor to explore how Maggie was using drugs basically to deal with how overwhelmed she was and i that felt like a really real story to me i understand where you're coming from i just didn't like it i just didn't like uh -huh. it i just didn't like it no, this is this is fascinating to me because it seems like we super disagree on this season i i don't think it's a good season yeah. i don't think it's good i don't think it's good until macy dies honestly Ooh. um <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> um, another thing that I don't like about the season I is I felt like it, there were. A... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm just trying to no, move on. Know. I'm trying to move on. So. Oh, I was you... also trying to move on. Oh, another thing that I really um, fucking hate about this season is the perfect eye. I hate them. I hate them. I hate them. I, I hate them also. I think they're so stupid. I think they're so stupid. It's a stupid idea. It was poor execution. Didn't like it. 
the two it's, it's like they were like let's make some kind of divine beings and have them kind of illustrate the concept of true neutral or something yeah like, and they use this they're, sim- so, they're like bland as shit and they wear like gray robes to and, me they uh, kind of felt like get this republicans um they are <laughs> hey, we're back to it so connor if you're listening on the bingo card you're gonna have to add siren and phoenix compare the demons to republicans <laughs> and the thing is the perfect i use a very similar backstory to the origin story of the charmed ones uh which means that they sort of have a version of the power of three but they're the the power of two will just have to do the power of I two guess. will have to do um but yeah i hate them uh the way that they are destroyed is kind of stupid with uh, with the golem and all of that stuff i'm not a fan didn't like the perfect eye this season the way it ended what you know what and we're getting ahead of ourselves but i feel like we're following the same pattern here the perfect eye were positioned as the big bad of the season and then after they were defeated then there was something else the other problem the problem is we've defeated the big bad but now our next big bad is accepting that our sister is gonna die <laughs> Woo. <laughs> They go from dealing with the perfect eye. This whole season is kind of like a COVID allegory, right? Because they they start with this magical allergy that keeps them apart. And then once they're able to be together again, they have to figure out how to defeat this unseen force that kept them apart for so long. That was something that's influencing and affecting everyone around them and hurting people, but that they can't like physically get their hands on really. Yeah, for sure. The, The whispering evil. Yeah. And it almost sort of was even shaped like the depictions of the COVID virus at times, don't you think? I don't remember it that clearly, to be honest, but I would believe that, yeah. The few times that we see it, it's this, like, smoky black mass, but it kind of takes on the shape of, like, the general illustration we've seen of, like, what the COVID virus looks like. I I really felt like the whispering evil was the COVID virus. My favorite episode of the season I mentioned was Witchful Thinking, and because it is amazing as a vaccine-slash-social-distancing metaphor. So in Witchful Thinking, the sisters find a way to end their magic allergy and they can be close to each other and touch each other again. And they go out and try to live their normal lives. But they've done this through a spell involving an artifact or whatever. And a um, side effect of the spell is that people around them get hurt in order to get them what they want. This is a metaphor for refusing to social distance and getting vaccined. And even though the, the virus doesn't hurt you, you help it spread and hurt other people. Like, that's what they're saying with this episode. They're saying you are facing an ethical choice. Do you live in your own luxuries and get what you want at the expense of other people? Or do you suffer a little bit to do what's safe for everyone? That's the choice that they are faced with. And this is obviously about COVID. And it's a direct call out to all of the people who were refusing to inconvenience themselves for the safety of others. Like, that's what they're saying. That is a fucking statement. And can you name any other show that did that? Superstore? That, like, oh, cool. I bet that was good, too. That was, like, real fucking life. Because, I mean, I don't know if you've ever watched Superstore, but... I mean, we've both worked in retail. So Superstore is a little too real for me. (laughs) Yeah. And I have not. Oh, my God. When I I worked at... uh, (laughs) redacted i loved it because it was just so accurate to what my life was like so the episodes that i have seen of it are very accurate yes 
Yeah. Um, but they, they did a COVID thing too in their last season. You know, now that I think about it, I did see some of that. So that's why Witchful Thinking is my favorite episode. It's also Josefina's last episode and she's great in it. She is great in it. She's great in it. Because it's also, in addition to being the COVID commentary, it's the episode where Josefina is like, yes, I am a witch, regardless of my genitals or what you think of my gender. And I have nature powers and I can do whatever the fuck I want with them. Yes, Josefina. So the one last thing that is really impactful about this season is Mel's pregnancy. Mel's pregnancy is another major theme of this season. And it's a foreshadowing to her getting her time powers back. And they handled it as well as they could because Melanie Diaz, the, the, the actress, did get pregnant. Do you know what I really love about how they handled this story, though? The actual actress became pregnant and they didn't defame the character or intentionally ruin the story. How weird. How weird. Um, and, you know, I'll have you all know that this was being made around the time that Charisma Carpenter was telling an upsetting story about what happened when she was an actress on a hit show who became pregnant. Yeah. Um, so there's no way they could look at what happened to Charisma and duplicate it, right? I mean, they, the runners of this show had to know about that situation. Yeah. Um, in case any of you don't know, Charisma Carpenter, who played Cordelia on Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel, revealed um, somewhat recently that because she became pregnant during the filming of Angel, she was um, she had basically her character assassinated and then she was fired from the show, which is what happened. And she also said that show creator said some very unkind things to her and suggested she get an abortion if she wanted to keep her job. So... Yep. That happened to the best character in that universe. Just saying. Mm. Yeah, so I think they did as well as they could. Are you about to debate me that Cordelia was... I don't think Cordelia was the best character, but I'm not going to have a debate about it because I'm just not. Okay, just real quick, though. Who is the best character for you? Who is the best character for me? Faith Lahane, honestly. Solid choice. Yeah. I love Faith Lahane. And I love Buffy. I love Buffy. Buffy is also a solid choice. So, of course, we we can't do what they did to Charisma. Um, Mel's character in the show is a lesbian who is not trying to get pregnant. So that's pretty hard <laughs> to to insert a pregnancy into that character, right? But they did it um, so well. So they did the best they could. Yeah, they did the best they could. She ha- basically has a, tra- a time-traveling fetus. Her future self gave her the pregnancy to protect it because the present was less dangerous than the future. As we will learn, in fact, in an episode that will involve earbugs. <laughs> God damn it. God damn it. So... Do you, do you know about what a mystical pregnancy is? I know you've I know you've seen some. I can't like give you facts about it, but yes, I understand the concept. But why don't you go through it for the listeners? Yeah, you know I want to. That's why I ask. <laughs> <laughs> um, a mystical pregnancy is a sh- is a trope from a fantasy or sci fi show where basically a character gets pregnant in some kind of fantastical or magical or weird futuristic way. And then it's the problem of the episode. And then the baby is summarily dealt with by the end of the episode. Somehow it just disappears in a way that doesn't super freak out the anti-abortionists sometimes. And um, then it's just over and we never talk about it again. And they're usually pretty upsetting. And there's a lot of non-consensual stuff happening with the mother. Um, Yep. There is a, mystical pregnancy on angel that happens to cordelia more than once that episode that episode is fucked up yeah she gets two of them uh one season and one episode and they're both fucked up yeah they did that to her so i would call mel's pregnancy a mystical pregnancy but i would say that it avoids all of the um problematic aspects of the trope yeah problematic aspects of the trope yeah so 
obviously it wasn't super convenient for this lesbian character to have a pregnant actress, but I think they did the best they could with it. And I think that's great. And I thought it was really weird the first time I watched the season, but the second time I watched the season, I thought it was okay. That was pretty good. So I actually skipped the latter half of the season because I knew what happened and I had already watched so much of the show and I just wanted to get to season four. There is one more episode I want to talk about and I can't tell you the title, but I call it the Massage Noir episode. Mm -hmm. Um, It's the episode where Macy, as the CEO of Safe Space, has to do this photo shoot that gets really racist. And then the white woman in charge of the photo shoot has her escorted out by security because she stood up for herself. And it is fucked up. It is so fucked up. And um, it obviously results in like a lot of emotion from Macy. Um, It's very racist treatment for sure. Yes. And it's showing you how even like powerful women of color with money in charge of things can be treated so terribly because of racism. Yeah. But it also, I obviously it sucks that it happens, but I think it's a good episode. Um, you know, Macy has a lot of hard time dealing with it. She has a lot of anger. She feels like she can't even really express her anger because she was just punished and vilified for doing so. Then, at the end of it, they have they have a little, like, feminist theory discussion, too, though, where they talk about the word massage noir, and they define it for the audience. It's the intersection of sexism and racism faced by Black women. And um, I think that's awesome. I, I never heard that word before this show. And this is a word that Black women have created for themselves to define their own experiences. So a lot of, like, white men like me aren't going to know it. But because of the show, now I do. And I like that. And then the end result of that episode is that Harry tells Macy that he's realized that he can support her as much as he wants, but he will never understand what it's like to be a black woman. He'll never understand what it's like to be her. A lot of white people need to get that through their fucking heads. Uh-huh. Yeah. A lot of white men need to get that through their fucking heads. Yeah, they do. And unfortunately... Like... And I am saying that as a as someone who has been a white man who needed to get it through their fucking head in the past. I, yeah. Yeah. And probably still will again in the future. So Yeah, nobody's perfect. We're all learning and, you know, and unlearning a lot of behaviors. Still, every day I encounter things where I'm like, oh, Phoenix, your reaction to that might have been a little bit racist. I think you need to examine yourself. I've certainly had that happen. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. it happens to me all the time. And I have to be really, I don't ever intentionally try to hurt someone with it. But it happens to me all the time, especially living in a city that is, you know, heavily populated with black people yeah it's just like sometimes when you like learn or get some kind of new information about like maybe people of color who are not you you know and you're not um you need to like think about it before you like open your mouth and do or say something stupid yeah um think before you speak racist words (laughs) just that's my advice for you of the whole episode yes before you are racist out loud please think And I mean, even in speaking out against racism, you have to make sure that it's your space and your place to do so in the moment. Yeah. You know, like, because if there is a person of color that could adequately speak for themselves in that moment, then it's not your place to do it for them. That's just more white saviorness. Yes. Which you could argue is actually what we're doing right now. Yes. But there are no people of color here to talk about this issue. There aren't. And I think the only thing that we could do about that is to say, if you are a woman of color who would like to talk about the concept of massage noir, how it exists in this episode or your own experience with something like that, 
Send us an email. Yeah, please. I'm sorry I laugh every time I say send us an email, but I really want you to. But I mean, please send us an email. There's only so much that we can talk about from our perspectives and still be inclusive to other people's experience. And I really feel like, I feel like this episode for us is a good time. This, the whole Charmed reboot series we're doing, I feel like this is a really good time to open it up to our listenership and be like, we are not the expert on everything. Like, like tell us. So that we can tell everyone, you know? Tell us. Use your own words. Come on the show and have a conversation with us. Um, we would love that. Um, so Macy, Macy having this experience, it's unfortunate that her character has to go through that in the first place and that so many black women have to go through that in the first place and women of color go through that. It's unfortunate that Macy gets this huge element added to her character and this like level of depth to her character only for her to unfortunately die for her to die. So let's talk about me. Let's talk about Macy's death, Siren. It's so weird that the character who's most like Prue also leaves the show intentionally by dying, by having their character die on the third season, which is exactly what happened on the original Charmed. It's so That's, trippy. It is, right? It's, it's eerie. When it first oh, happened, I was like, like, oh my God, this show is cursed. Like, yeah. Well, I was also like, like, I saw it, and I was like, does that mean this show is going to go on for five more seasons? And then I thought, no, I doubt it. <laughs> yeah. Which is unfortunate. I actually would have watched five more seasons of this show. Me too! I, I loved this show. Like, totally. And we're going to talk about some things we like in season four on our next episode. Let's not get into it now. Macy's killed by the secondary big bad of the season after the Perfecti, the Whispering Evil. The COVID smoke monster gets Macy, which again is another really wonderful COVID metaphor. It can take anyone. It could have happened to anyone. I know many people. Even a main character. Even a main character. But yeah, it's weird that it was the third season. It's weird that it was the actress playing the eldest sister. Uh, history definitely repeated itself. But I think that we got more closure with Macy than with Prue. A ton. Yes. Yeah. And well, so how did you feel about all of it? How do you feel about that episode? Uh, the episode where Macy dies is extremely emotional for me. Um, yes. As someone who has watched family members die multiple times, to be able to have had that experience with them would have been something that I would have cherished and wanted to have, to have those moments of lucidity, to have those moments of doing the things that were left unfinished, saying the things that were left unsaid. I think that we were incredibly fortunate to get the episode where Macy died. And I think that the characters were incredibly fortunate to get to have that moment with their sister. And it made the grief of it a lot more palatable. And I think, because Prue's death doesn't really get me that much. Well, because it's so sudden. It's sudden and abrupt. You don't really know that it happened until you start the next season. And also we like, we're just dealing with Piper's death and now we're dealing with Prue's death. What? Um, with Macy, we get a little bit more time, which makes it hurt more, but also lets us kind of yeah. accept the reality of it. So I think they gave us a good send off with her because she basically, as part of this like spell to keep her alive, she gets to do everything she wanted to do in life, which is great to think of having that mental experience before you die. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really like kind of a tribute to her character too. So I liked it. I also like that. I like that she died by killing off the whispering evil. Like it, it didn't so much kill her as she killed them both. So there's definitely some, there's definitely some self-sacrifice going on there, but I also don't think it was intentional. 
Does... I don't think she wanted to die to kill it. I think she was just like, I'm gonna fucking kill you. <laughs> the way that it's explained why she's dying, I don't really think that Macy intended to die. Which is yeah. well, the one thing that I don't like about it is that it didn't feel like it had enough purpose other than the actress didn't want to come back for the next season. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like she was a badass to the end though. She was. And my favorite thing, I think my favorite thing about it is that she became a guardian. She she joined she joined the other charmed ones and became a guardian. She of the became tree. part of the bitchy tree. Um, but it was a better send off than Prue and um Madeline Mentock, there's not a whole lot of information out there about why she left. Just like with Shannon Doherty, the bitch wouldn't tell us. I loved Macy. I loved Macy as a character and I did miss her in the following season. I did too, but there are also some good things to talk about there that you will unfortunately just have to wait for our next episode to hear. Alrighty. Siren, where can the people find you? Um... Uh, you can, you know, I really forgot for a second. <laughs> um, you can follow me at Siren Spectacular on Twitter and Instagram or at Siren Spectacular Non-Binary Meme Witch on Facebook. Or you can watch my coven's YouTube channel, Millennial Incantations. You can follow me on Instagram at Phoenix Arcana Lightwood. You can follow me on Twitter at Phoenix Arcana underscore. You can follow this podcast at WBRCast on all social media platforms. If you have a question or something you'd like to hear us talk about, please feel free to send us an email at witchbeereview at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to check out our episode on Hey Adora, a queer She-Ra podcast. Our two episodes, I should say, called Light Spinner, parts one and two, because it was fun as fun. All right, all you trans nature witches. Until next time, keep on witching. And bitching. Bye. Bye. Are you a good witch or a bad witch?